Welcome everybody to The Christian Optimist. My name is Rafe Chenery. I'm your host. I have taken a few weeks off uh, over the holidays and at the start of this year to get organized, to plan, to pray, to think about what we're doing on this show and how we keep doing it better. And I'll tell you what, I'm excited for this new season to begin. I hope you are too. And we have a lot to talk about. I'll tell you, uh, 2021 has started off with a bang. We have no shortage of events that we need to discuss. And I want to jump right in today. So today's episode, we're going to be talking about the events on the 6th. I'm going to be critiquing and discussing a very classic book that uh, most Americans should be aware of, especially Christians. It's a book called A Defense of Liberty Against Tyrants, written by a man going by the pseudonym of Junius Brutus, one of the helpful founding documents of our country. Uh, And we're going to try to evaluate what's taking place in us, in our culture, biblically. Remember, the, the heart of this show is to equip you as a Christian to think biblically in every aspect of your life. I want you to love the Word of God. I want you to cling to the Word of God, and I want to form a heart of worship in you that is real and poignant and builds you so that you have a clear understanding of how your faith intersects with the unfolding of history, that you can live bold, courageous Christian lives. All right, now to do that, Today, I want to help us evaluate some events that took place. We're going to think biblically about them, and then I'm going to move us to a so what. Now, there's a thousand so what's. I'm going to give us just one, uh, but I think it's going to be helpful for us. So let's dig straight in, kick off with a bang today, uh, this morning. Let's talk about the events that transpired on the 6th. Now, uh, a little background. My aim is not an never will be to be a political pundit. There are many who will do that far better than me. I'm not going to try to uh, give you all the ins and the outs of every way you could look at this politically. Uh, Rather, I want us to look at events and think of them biblically. I want you to think through a biblical lens because we're Christians. So let's evaluate the events. And and what I want to do is try to plead with the American church, with Christians of all different denominational backgrounds, how to process and where to go. Now, with the events... At this point, most have seen uh, the imagery and, frankly, I'm going to just use a word here, the buffoonery uh, of the rioters that entered the Capitol building on the 6th. As we know, multiple people were killed, damage was done to federal property, and if I could just add this, uh, the legal political process of certifying electoral votes was paused. I mean, it, it it was paused in a dramatic way under fear of an insurrection, that most of the politicians who were there actually uh, feared for their lives. And for good reason. People were breaking into the building violently. Uh, This was a tragedy in American history. It was an act of embarrassment in terms of our international uh, image as a nation. And frankly, it just was disgusting and disturbing. I'm going to try to demonstrate this with clarity today, why I feel this was such an embarrassment. First, let's look back to uh, a scene in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, there's a riot that takes place in Ephesus. And I think this is good, helpful biblical text to help us understand riots. Uh, As a side note, (laughs) Acts chapter 19. You know, there was a quote I read a long time ago. It sounded something like this. Uh, Someone said, a pastor said, Wherever Paul went, they seemed to throw a riot. Wherever I go, they seem to serve me tea. And, you know, I kind of say that has always stuck out to me. Uh, there was a, uh, a, a direct courage of Paul to speak blunt, bold truth to people that caused people to be rubbed the wrong way by his message. 
And sometimes I think we need to remember that the message of the gospel is foolishness to those who do not believe and will cause them to be troubled. It doesn't mean that we need to cause riots everywhere we go, but if no one's ever upset by what we say, well, we, we're, uh, we're not necessarily in line with the precedent set for us in the book of Acts. Okay, let's go back to Acts chapter 19. What happens in that chapter? In Acts 19, Paul's in Ephesus, he's preaching the gospel, people are beginning to believe, and a man rises up in Ephesus who was a seller of idols, and he made a lot of money selling these idols to all the people in Ephesus. Now, I've lived in Thailand, I was a missionary in Thailand, and I can tell you uh, the business that comes with idol selling. Uh, you know, when I walk down the streets of Bangkok, you will go past literally hundreds of people sitting outside selling their little idols and there is no shortage of money to be made. Everyone carries their idols around with them. They put them in their taxi cab windows. This is how you make money. And that man suddenly realized that if everyone became a Christian, like Paul was saying, his business would suddenly go under. No one would be buying idols anymore. So he began an enraged protest that ended in a riot in Acts chapter 19. Let me read to you verses 28, 29, and 32. When they heard this, the Ephesians, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Right? So, literally, you, you can just hear this chant taking place. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion. This is the text. And they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. So now the riot turns violent. They drag in some of Paul's companions. Paul wants to run in there because he's a man of faith and he wants to stand and defend himself rather than having his friends thrown in there. His buddies pull him aside, say, Paul, whatever you do, don't go into the middle of that riot. Then verse 32, we read, Now some cried out one thing, some another. For the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. All right. Now, that language is fascinating language, and it points us to a statement that I've tried to make a number of times in a number of different ways. I've especially made it over last summer, where we saw Black Lives Matter protests turn violent and turn into riots. In my, uh, literally, the corner I'm sitting on right now was one of those corners where there were windows smashed and uh, there was, you know, the whole thing turned violent over this summer in the city of Chicago. Based on the videos we've seen, there were plenty of people at the Capitol on the 6th who intended to use some level of violence and anger to push against the law and to violate the law. Clearly, there were large numbers of those people. That is clear. It, you cannot deny that based on the video evidence we've seen. At the same time, many who were a part of the crowd, like the riot in Ephesus, were there for different reasons. They were there to support Trump, but not the riot. And I think that's important for any riot that you see. Uh, the people who are being violent do not necessarily speak for the much larger crowd. That is not in any way to get off the hook what happened, but it is to say that the numbers are not necessarily what the images show for those who are trying to be violent. It was possible to be fairly near to the events that were bad and to really not realize fully uh, what was happening only a few feet away from you, as we see in Acts chapter 19. All right, let's go back. I'm sharing all of this because I want us to go back to the scriptures. S studying the scriptures helps us interpret and understand our present. Okay? Now let's deal with the events of the sixth themselves. There's a number of levels to process this. And the first one I want to talk about is actually one that is, is very important. It's the imagery of the Confederate flag, which was present, as well as the imagery of a noose, 
which now most of you have seen that imagery. It was present uh, both at the protests uh, that Trump was leading, but then also uh, the the Confederate flag made its way into uh, Congress, the Congress building. Now, that imagery is despicable, it's vile, and it's telling. The Confederate flag was the symbol of Jefferson Davis and the South during the Civil War. I'm a student of history. I love history. I think the Civil War is a fascinating time in history uh, where uh, Christian ideology uh, won over disgusting human chattel slavery uh, culture of the South where where, where it looked like at times Robert E. Lee and his army was going to be unbeatable. Lincoln pulled in Grant. General Grant, and and there came an end to the war, and the Civil War is fascinating, but the Confederate flag is the symbol of the South during that war. That image is a clear image of racism. Now, as Christians of all colors, we would do well to recognize the deep pain and horror that our African-American brothers and sisters experience when they see that image parading through the halls of our National Congress. Symbols matter, and that symbol matters tremendously. Now, secondly, what were the rioters there for? The rioters, if I understand them correctly, because they, they, I think I, I get their, their sense, right? These rioters believed they were standing for truth against a tyrannical government overthrow. Okay, let's just get into the mind of the writer. I'm not justifying them. I'm trying to help understand what happened. They believed that the election had been genuinely stolen and that tyranny was going to win the day. Therefore, I think they saw themselves as freedom fighters and liberators standing against tyrannical rule. Okay, now there is a rich history in America of using this language. We have to go back to one of the key writings in history written by an unnamed source who went by the pseudonym pseudonym Junius Brutus back in 1579. Who was this man? Brutus was a Huguenot. Now, if you're a Protestant Christian, if you're part of our church or you're part of any Reformed church, Protestant church out there, the Huguenots are a very important group of people you should know about. They were French Protestants who were being brutally terrorized by the French Catholic political landscape of their day. Now, at the time this book was written, it was right around the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre of August 18, 1572. At that massacre, listen to this, nearly 30,000 French Protestants, the Huguenots, nearly 30,000 Huguenots had been killed. And this man, Junius Brutus, wrote a very important book. A short book is called A Defense of Liberty Against Tyrants. Now, in that book, he spells out the Christian duty and Christian methodology and biblical backing for standing against and rebelling against tyrannical government. Now, there are those who would disagree with everything he wrote. And there are also those who are Christians who would look at that book and say, on the whole, it's a fairly good understanding of how Christians should think about when government becomes tyrannical. How do we as Christians who have an authority to God respond? He asks questions like this. What does a Christian do when their government commands that they act, behave, or think in a way that is contrary to their Christian conscience? Can we stand against the government in good Christian conscience? Those are good questions to ask. Now, this book was a source book for other philosophers and thinkers back in that time period, including the founders of the nation that we live in now called America. John Adams referenced this book and thought of this book regularly. 
who those founders of America themselves saw themselves as rebelling against the tyrannical rule of the British Empire in order to form America. Now, as you can see, even at just me giving you that history, rebelling against tyranny is quite literally in the soil of American culture. That's important. Many of the ideas and the checks and balances that we have within our government order are put in place, even having three branches of government, executive, judicial, and legislative, functions as a check and balance to make sure that there are proper ways to push back against government overreach and even further, tyrannical government. Now, there are similarities and there are differences between the Huguenots of 1579 and the Americans of 2020. And the differences are laughable and the similarities are important for us to think through. First, the differences. The tyranny the Huguenots were going under was mass murder. Up to 30,000 of their people who were killed. They were being told what to believe, how to believe, and they were being told they could not believe and have faith the way that their conscience dictated they should have faith. They were being oppressed for their faith. Now, as modern-day Americans, we cannot in any way relate to this. It was fundamentally different. And to try to justify insurrection by comparing the government overreach of today in America to Huguenot massacres is embarrassing. We have to be better students of history than that. They are not the same thing. In fact, around the world today, there are similar instances where we see government overreach edging, not only edging, but actually in the exact same place as the government overreach of Junius Brutus's time, which was where Christians were being killed for their faith. It's taking place today. That is not the nation we are living in right now, and there is no justification for an insurrection the way we saw in the 6th right now. Secondly, on that note, let's go back to the actual claims. This is important. I want to think about this as a Christian. Let's go back to the claims that the rioters were making to justify their behavior. I want to make it clear. No clear legal evidence has been laid down or presented in a serious way to convince us of fraudulence. If I'm just trying to think uh, open-mindedly and think legally, Trump has a right to make his case. Uh, he had every right to use the legal system to ask the questions he felt he needed to ask of the election. But as the legal pathway clearly was shot down and was not producing any fruit, and even as respected figures like William Barr shot down any possible pathway or case to be made, the idea that the election was stolen by fraud moved from possible to conspiratorial. I'm not trying to justify and say, all I'm saying is that it moved from possible that, and say, let's look into this if the claims are there and if evidence is being presented and if there's all these affidavits that are out there, then we should look at this. In fact, we might say that Trump had a responsibility to look into it as uh, leader of the country. You could make that case. But as the legal case was shot down, it moved more into conspiratorial. Now, on the basis of conspiratorial ideas, as long as an idea is rooted in the space of conspiratorial, it is not only unwise, but as we have seen, it is dangerous to make those claims the base of a movement. On this regard, Donald Trump, whether you like him or hated him as a president, has missed the mark severely as he continued to push the conspiratorial message of fraudulence after the legal case had been clearly shut down. And I want to add to that. 
I, I follow Twitter. I follow, you know, I, I look all over the place. I, I like reading news from all different news sources. I like looking at left-leaning papers, right-leaning papers. I try to think critically and independently and biblically on the news that I read and the ideas I see coming in. Christians are very prone to believing conspiratorial ideas. I've seen it in myself over the last 15 years. Uh, and, and I think that in some reason, you, you, there's justification for that. We, we do believe in Satan. We believe that there is an invisible evil force that we cannot see that is tying things together and that is against us, that wants to see the church fail, that wants to see Christians tempted and torn down. And it is easy to try to spot Satan behind every little idea that has no justification. And that's not Christian. Christians need to think critically and not move quickly in conspiracy. And when an idea is in a conspiratorial phase, to not pretend like it's actually in a clearly presented phase. Now, okay, we could talk for hours on that idea. Back to the idea of standing against tyrants. We've seen how it was different. There is no justification for what happened on the 6th if what they're trying to say is they're standing against government overreach. However, is there anything we can learn from Brutus's, Brutus's book that's relevant for today? Well, yes. And on this show, we want to regularly come back to that and challenge ideas and ask critical questions of our government and our politics in order to think biblically and think like Christians who are rooted on the scriptures. There are clear areas in our current government structure where we are fast moving towards drastic government overreach. Is it tyrannical government? We'll keep talking. We'll keep learning. It's nowhere near the tyranny of the Huguenots. That's for sure. It's nowhere near the tyranny of current, you know, China or North Korea. That's for sure. But is there government overreach? Sure. Let me read to you from, um, from this book, uh, Defense of Liberty Against Tyrants. Now, here's, here's what he says. He says, the princes exceed their bounds. He's talking about governmental leaders, they exceed their bounds, not contenting themselves with that authority which the almighty and all good God has given them, but to seek to usurp that sovereignty which he hath reserved to himself over all men. Being not content to command the bodies and goods of their subjects at their pleasure, but they assume license to themselves to enforce the consciences which appertains chiefly to Jesus Christ." Now, let me interpret that if you could not follow that. What he's arguing is that when, is that uh, earthly government has a divinely authorized lane to move in. And that lane is not to govern the free conscience of humans made in the image of God. And when an earthly government moves into the lane of trying to enforce conscience over free human beings whose only conscience can be Jesus Christ, their king, because he is the only true king. He is the only one who's given actual authority to governments on this earth. That's Romans chapter 13. When those earthly governments overstep their bounds, try to usurp their ideas and force Christians to believe ideas contrary to their belief system in Jesus Christ, they have overstepped. Do we see that taking place? Yes. Honestly, we do. There are places all across every news cycle that we read today where Christians have to have their antennas up to say, wait a second, there's potential government overreach here. And Christians need to actually be able to recognize that and have a right understanding of government, what God's ordained and authorized governments to be. And also a celebration of the American system of a Republican, of a uh, democratic republic. Christians can think critically on these issues 
and at the same time use our democratic values in this republic of ours to vote accordingly politicians and leaders who will restore us back to a sense of biblical normalcy when and where we see government overreach happening. We have a system of checks and balances in this country to restore us when Christians see overreach and potential tyrannical rule beginning to be fostered and taking place. In my opinion, we are far, far away from a place of justified Christian rebellion towards governmental authority. We're far away from yet. Yet, the seeds of overreach are all around us. We would, be, we would do very well to watch and think critically. Now, let me finish this opening episode of season two by asking the question, where do we go from here? I was reading in a wonderful book, uh, Dynamics of Spiritual Life by Richard Lovelace. He has a, a number of chapters on Christian history and looking at how uh, leaders throughout Christian history have done incredible work uniting the church in seasons of confusion and seasons of um, what I would might call fractured life within the larger church. There was a man named Count Zinzendorf. Now, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I've mentioned Count Zinzendorf before. He is one of the uh, men who I might consider one of my favorite men in Christian history, Count Zinzendorf. Zinzendorf was related to another man named Spainer. Uh, Spainer was a, a leader in the Pietist movement. Zinzendorf was around the 1700s, if you want a time period. And he was a leader in the church, and he was looking out over this fractured church, this very divided church. And he was he was seeing all the ways that Christians and all these different kind of splinter cells were angry with each other and were speaking past each other and, and didn't know what to do. And everyone said no one could unite all those fractured Christians. Their ideologies are too distinct. Their politics are too distinct. It couldn't be done. It hadn't been done in a long time. And then you know what? You know what Count Zinzendor did? He used collaborative communal prayer as a means of uniting fractured Christians. He began a prayer movement that to this day is the basis for most of the prayer movements that Christians try to start. In our church, we're doing a daily prayer, seven days a week. It started January 1st. I want to keep it going for the rest of the life of our church, Lord willing, however long that's going to be, right? I want to pray every day with our people. We've had upwards of 50, close to 100 people joining every single day, 12 to 12, 30 daily prayer. It's amazing. The idea to get this going obviously is biblical, but also we trace it back to Zinzendor, who started a daily, in fact, 24-7 prayer movement, bringing all the fractured splinter cells of Christianity together. And it was powerful. It united the church. It gave them a clear voice. It gave them voice to speak into culture. It gave them voice to speak to each other and to stop speaking past each other and to actually sit down and just pray together. You know, it's very difficult to hate someone you're praying with. We need to pray. And I'm not just throwing that out there like, oh, pray, there's our application for the day, good, go home. I mean, we need daily communal prayer with Christians of very different backgrounds from us who we are laboring together, calling on God through the Holy Spirit to bring unity and clarity and Christian conviction and boldness to drive home biblical values all around us. We need it more than we've ever needed it. We are so divided and the days ahead are going to get crazy for the church. We are looking at a future under a Biden administration. Whether you love Trump, hate Trump, love Biden, hate Biden, there is a lot of policy coming down the pipeline that's going to have big impact on the church that we're going to have to think very critically about. And we have to think a united way. And it cannot happen if we do not unite in prayer, thereby having a place where we're united by the 
by the Holy Spirit to send out and think and speak together as one. You want to know what happened out of, out of Count Zinzendor's movement? Not only did he pray powerfully with all these different people, they ended up sending out over 200 missionaries. See, when you pray like this, mission comes out of it. That's what we're after. We want to think biblically and literally be the salt of the earth. That's Christianity. You were equipped for that. You have the Holy Spirit, but you can't do it alone. You need your church. You need the global church to come together, and there's much work to do. We must pray as if our lives and society depend on it, and we must do it with other Christians. Get after that work. It's the start of a new year. Don't make that a secondary priority on your list. Prioritize the communal work of prayer. And I believe we got great hope in front of us. Jesus is king. He's ruling and reigning, and the gates of hell will not prevail against our king. Thank you so much for joining us for our first episode of this new season. I pray you have been blessed. I pray that you are thinking. Tune in next week as we will continue this dialogue.